Chapter Thirty One of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Molly's Prince by Rose Nuchette Carey. Chapter Thirty One down by the river only upon some cross of pain and woe god's son may lie each soul redeemed from self and sin must have its calvary anonymous the porch house thursdays as they were called had become red-letter days in thorough chater's life ever since that wet christmas eve when he had partaken of cakes and ale in the hall at the red house he had looked forward to them with an intensity that had surprised himself little had he thought when he had generously given a few hours of scanty leisure to help althea in her good work that such deep enjoyment would be the result and that he would actually count the hours until he could see a certain curly head bending over the book if only any one had guessed how his heart always leaped at the sight thoroughwood's life until now had been laborious and joyless his home was utterly uncongenial to him he loved his sister but there was no real sympathy between them and as he would often say bitterly to himself joa cares more for tris little finger than for me and he was right joanna was one of those women whose short-sighted tenderness made them lavish their best affections on some prodigal or black sheep perhaps the fault might lie a little with thorold his calm self-controlled nature was somewhat repressive few people understood him or guessed that underneath the quiet undemonstrative surface there was a warm passionate heart perhaps only althea knew it and even she was in error about him for she thought that his intellect dominated his heart but in this she was wrong thorwood chater was a keenly ambitious man he loved his work for his own sake but he was also desirous of success as he knew well his feet were on the first rung of the ladder his literary work was always meeting with appreciation and now he held his first brief the first cold breakers had been passed and the bold swimmer had his head well above water poverty would soon be a thing of the past but even as he grasped this fact gratefully he was aware that fresh responsibilities fettered him tristram and betty were on his hands it would be long probably years before tristram would be able to provide comfortable home for his child and when they quitted his roof he clearly foresaw that joanna would go with them nothing would part her from betty 
but for years to come how was he to marry would any girl care to enter that incongruous household would he wish to bring her he was a man who would want his wife to himself who must have all or none no one must interfere with his monopoly and then with a pang of proud sensitiveness he told himself that the thing was impossible nevertheless the porch-house thursdays were his high days and festivals as he walked up the hill in the darkness some new strange feeling was throbbing at his heart a sudden yearning to know his fate it was no use to delude himself with sophistries or to cheat himself any longer the first moment he had looked into the depth of those wonderful eyes he knew that he loved wavenly as such men only love once in their lives and he knew now too well that he must win her for his wife or forever live solitary his mind was in a chaotic state this evening a subtle form of temptation was assailing him why should it be hopeless true he could not marry for years but what if he were to tell her that he loved her and ask her to wait for him as other women had waited he dallied with this thought a moment give me a little hope he would say to her it will strengthen my hands and i shall fight the battle of life more bravely let me feel that i am no longer lonely but even as the words crossed his lips he chid himself for his selfishness why should he bind down that bright young life and condemn her to years of wearisome waiting why should his burdens be laid on her young shoulders how could he know what the years would bring his health might fail and then in a mood of dogged hopelessness he let himself into the little gate that led to the tennis ground and the porch house little did he guess as he passed the lighted window of the library that the objects of his thoughts lay there sleeping for sorrow but his first glance as he entered the recreation hall showed him that the chair by nora greenwall was empty and his face was graver and more impassive than ever as he took up his book but more than once that evening as he heard the latch lifted in the adjoining room he lifted his head and his wistful look was fixed on the opening door but no little figure in sapphire blue came lightly into the room as soon as his duties were over thorwood crossed the room to althea where is miss ward he asked quietly and althea who knew he had personal interest in all his pupils took the question as a matter of course i thought you would have heard she said a little sadly the poor child is in great trouble 
and then she gave him a brief account of the last two days thorold's face paled a little he was extremely shocked her twin sister that beautiful girl i saw in old ranla gardens yes returned althea sorrowfully i really think molly ward has the sweetest face i have ever seen oh i do not wonder that waveney loves her so she is suffering cruelly poor child but her father will not allow her to go home no of course not he returned so quickly that althea glanced at him he is right quite right diphtheria is terribly infectious she might be ill too good heavens no one in their sense would expose a girl to such risk and thorold spoke in a low vehement tone of suppressed feeling but althea was too much engrossed with her own painful train of thoughts to notice his unusual emotion no you were right she replied they must be kept apart but thorold it makes my heart ache to see her poor child it is impossible for any one to comfort her i can do nothing with her then thorold's firm lips twitched a little i am sorry he said in a quick undertone more sorry than i can say will you tell her so please good night i must go home and work and then he went off hastily forgetting that it was his usual custom to help althea extinguish the lights and walk down the dark garden with her but althea sad and preoccupied hardly noticed this desertion on thoroughgood's part the evening had seemed a long one to her her thoughts were in poor molly's sick-room down below a lonely anxious man sat by his solitary fire god comfort him she said to herself softly as she rose from her seat the next few days dragged heavily on days so dim with fear and anguish that for many long years waveney never willingly alluded to that time when the mere mention of it drove the color from her face even molly suffering tortures patiently hardly suffered more than waveney sir hindley richmond had paid his visit but had spoken very guardedly about the case there were complications it was impossible to say a great deal depended upon nursing he would come again yes certainly if mr ingram wished it and then the great doctor drove off everett took the news to the red house perhaps he needed comfort himself and pined for a sight of his darling but waveney's changed looks and languid step filled him with dismay she came to him silently and as he took her in his arms a sob burst from his lips waveney you break my heart have pity on your poor father i have but two daughters and molly and here he could say no more waveney put her hands on his shoulders 
they were as cold as ice and her eyes had the fixed heavy look of one who walks in her sleep father is molly dying her voice was quite toneless everard started in horror my darling child no god forbid that such sorrow should be ours but she is very ill and i'm afraid sir hindley richmond thinks very gravely of the case there are complications but he will come again ingram insists on it they are nursing her splendidly everything depends on that but it may be doubted if waveney heard this father she said in the same dull voice i want you to make me a promise if there is no hope if sir hindley says so promise me that i shall see her before before you know what i mean oh waveney my little my little waveney for god's sake do not ask me that and everard shook with emotion but i do ask it and then her arms went round his neck in a sudden passion of pleading father i will be good i will not go near or kiss her but her dear eyes i must see she must know that i am there father if you love me you will not refuse and then with a choking sob poor everard gave reluctant consent very little more passed between them when everard said he must go waveney made no attempt to keep him for the first time in her life her father's present failed to comfort her and instinctively he realized this take care of yourself for my sake he said and he kissed and blessed her but she made no answer when he left her she paced up and down the room restlessly movement that was her sole relief and body fatigue that would make her sleep once she pressed her face against the window and looked out at the darkness molly is dying she said to herself and perhaps the dear lord will let me die too and then she smiled at the thought and resumed her pacing to and fro in the firelight as everett stumbled out of the room althea opened the door of the library and beckoned to him she had no need to ask him any question one glance at his face was enough mr ward she said in a soft voice i cannot let you go like this sit down by the fire and i will give you a nice hot cup of coffee you always like coffee better than tea i remember you are very good he returned in a hesitating voice but i am anxious to get back to my poor child dr duncan will be coming at six and ingram will be round for news oh i would not keep you for worlds replied althea gently but you must drink this first and there is no need to drink it standing and then with a half smile everard yielded the beautiful room the soft lamplight the quiet face and kindly ministering of hands of his old friend gave him a sudden feeling of warmth and repose he felt like a 
tired child brought out of the cold and darkness as he drank his coffee the numb strained feeling gave way miss hartford he said suddenly it makes me miserable to see waveney ah she returned quickly i was afraid you would say that but the poor child is not herself she is stunned with trouble when we talk to her she does not seem to hear what we say doreen spoke to her a little sharply to-day she went on she did it to rouse her but of course i told her that it would be useless when she had finished waveney merely looked at her and then went out of the room and doreen was so afraid she had hurt her that she followed her to say something kind Waveney seemed quite astonished. "'You have not hurt me. Oh, no,' she said. "'It is I who am rude, for I did not hear half you said. When I try to listen, my head pains me, and I get confused, but I think nothing hurts me.' Everett sighed. "'What are we to do with her?' he asked in a despairing voice dear mr ward returned althea in her flute-like voice we can do nothing but love her and pray for her she and her dear molly too are in god's hands not ours try to trust them both to him and then everard looked gratefully in her face she is a sweet woman he said to himself as he walked toward the station I wonder why she has never married but no suspicion of the truth entered his mind moritz used to send noel up to the red house nearly every day but he never came himself he spent most of his time at number ten cleveland terrace everett took very kindly to his visits maurice turned up at all hours with all sorts of excuses he would send up messages to the nurses and very often would waylay nurse helena in the road outside nurse helena who had a kindly womanly nature would smile a little sadly as she walked on he does not know poor man that he has a rival she said to herself there is monsieur blackie i have heard the name often but poor child what does it matter and here nurse helena shook her calmly head for that day dear sweet molly was at her worst and moritz was like a man distracted that afternoon thurwood chater came home unusually early he was bringing his work with him joanna and betty were spending the day with a friend at richmond and tristram had promised to join them in the evening so he would have the house to himself it was nearly four o'clock but down by the river there was still light the water had a cold steely gleam on it and the black hulls of the boats drawn up on shore looked hard and forbidding there was a touch of frost in the air and as thoroughgood lingered for a moment on a bridge he was surprised to see a solitary figure 
on the towing path. The next moment he uttered an exclamation, and then walked rapidly in the same direction. His keen, far-sighted eyes had recognized the pedestrian. Waveney's restlessness had amounted almost to disease that day. She simply could not sit still. All the morning she had been wandering over the common with the little dogs running beside her, and the moment luncheon was over, she started off on an errand to the model lodging house. Her limbs ached with fatigue, but a streak of red sunset, casting a glow on the river, attracted her irresistibly, and though the light had long faded and the air was chill and damp, she still paced up and down, but she started, and a sudden giddiness came over her as a deep voice accosted her. "'Miss Ward, is this wise or right? Have you no regard for your health?' And Thorogood's voice was unusually stern, but even in that dim light the drawn pallor of her face frightened him. Could sickness and sorrow of heart have wrought this change in these few days? Perhaps I have walked too much, she returned faintly. I am so fond of walking, and the river is so beautiful, and there is nothing else to do. And then a sudden impulse of self-preservation made her catch at his arm. I'm so giddy, she said in a tired little voice if i only could sit down a moment there is a seat near he returned quietly let me help you and then his strong arm almost lifted her off the ground the next moment she was on the bench but his arm was still around her she was not faint her eyes were wide open and fixed on the water but her strength had gone, and, as far as he could judge, she seemed scarcely conscious of her surroundings. She even submitted like a child when he drew her head against his shoulder. Do not try to speak. It will pass, and you will be better soon. And then he felt her pulse. The feeble beat spoke of utter exhaustion. Very likely she had eaten nothing all day. There was only one thing to be done. She must be warmed and fed, and then he must take her home. Do you think you could walk a little now? he asked, when a few minutes had passed, and the cold breeze from the river seemed to pierce through him. It is not safe to sit any longer. There is a frost tonight, and we have only such a little way to go will you try and i will help you oh yes why not returned waveney dreamily but it is not a little way to the red house is it and then she rose stiffly as if thorogood had not held her she would have fallen why am i like this she panted i have never been weary before you have walked too far was his sole answer and you are numb with cold and then half supporting half carrying her in his man's strength they reached the bridge 
under the gaslight he saw she revived a little and then he made her take his arm the town was lighted and there were plenty of passers-by but happily there was not far to go more than once even in that short distance he was obliged to let her pause for a minute as he opened the little gate she pressed his arm feebly oh not here she said i must go home please do not make me go in please please mr chater my dear child can you not trust me was all his answer do not fear i mean to take you home and somehow his calm authoritative voice seemed to control her at once end of chapter thirty one recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c